accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called The Sword of Kalos, the ninth episode of the fourth season, aired on the 20th of November, 1995. Teleplay goes to Hans Beemler, the old TNG writer from season two. Uh, story goes to Richard Danis, directed by LeVar Burton, our old friend Jody LaForge. In this episode, Klingon Dahar Master Kor, Jadzia Dax, and Worf search for the fabled Sword of Kalos on a remote planet in the Gamma Quadrant. We're joined, as always, by Clay. Clay, people said, you promised us every episode. I didn't bring this up in the previous episode, but uh, you're, you you haven't been on every episode. We made a promise too early, I think, although it's been a very busy month. But welcome back to uh, Sword of Kalos. And I guess, uh, where do we want to go from here? Well, anyway, how are you? I'm good. I have returned from my quest up into the mountains of Maine, where I <laughs> fulfilled the prophecy of my fathers and rode a chairlift high up into the air in order to uh, commune with the gods before walking down the mountain because coming back was a little bit too scary for me. So I'm not a big fan of heights, so I just decided <laughs> to hike down. But I am back. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think it goes to show you that... We're we're all about keeping it interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, don't trust us ever. If we promise something, <laughs> you might not get it. That's you know what? And that's life. That's what happens in real life. That is. That is. YouTube isn't life. This is real life. This is IRL in real life, right here. Um, let's let's take a break. We're gonna play an audio clip. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about the sword of Kalos. Cool. Hmm? I have someone I'd like you to meet. Oh. I'd like you to meet our strategic operations officer, Commander Worf. Ah, Worf, the traitor, the pariah, the lowest of the low. It's a pleasure to meet you. Any enemy of Gowron and the High Council is a friend of mine. All right, Clay. So this is, I believe this is our first Worf focused episode, unless you want to consider Way of the Warrior to be a Worf focused episode. But uh, Worf has been prominent, as you'd expect, in DS9 to this point. He's not maybe the focal point of every episode, but he is certainly involved in almost everything that happens. And uh, this is the first one that really, really deals with Klingon-y stuff in a way that uh, the other previous episodes haven't dealt with. Um, what do you think is sort of Kalos? Um, I liked it. Uh, it was, I think I liked it more on the back half of it. It's much better in the second half of the episode, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I liked the, some of the stuff at the beginning with, uh, core. Yeah. Uh, with him tell with, uh, what's his name? What's the older Klingon's name? Core. K-O-R. Core. Core. Uh, telling the story and then meeting Worf and then, you know, kind of them bonding over stuff. I thought that was cool. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't think it really got into the good stuff until, you know, they started having their falling out later on. Uh, I do want to know where they got their light bulbs for that cave because <laughs> it seems to be very well lit and it has been for 1400 years. And yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, they're, I don't know who's controlling that electricity, but their bill must be very high. 
they're also running that uh, force field hologram emitter, right? So they, yeah, I don't know if they had like one of those, you know, energy saves people come in and check it out and replace everything with like really efficient bulbs or whatever. Yeah, uh, seems to be working. Whatever it is, that service that your electrical company sends you on every bill, it's like prepare your home for energy efficiency, and then you go look at it, and it's like the the tips are like turn off the lights when you're not in the room. It's like good, <laughs> good job, energy company. Wouldn't want to stop watching TV and go read a book. Wouldn't want. <laughs> I've got a couple Star Trek ones for you. All uh, backs. Um, you know, this is a this is an episode that I was think I was struck by thinking about how TNG would have handled this storyline, mm-hmm. and TNG would have had the exact same story, except at the end, Dax would have scanned the sword and realized there was some sort of energy signature in it that was amplifying bad emotions. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Interesting. And they would have been fighting over some sci-fi reason, and they would have decided to destroy the sword at the very end because of that. Like, they can't let this evil power do it. Mm -hmm. It's much more of a character story here, where these characters, Worf and Kor, are actually... This is true to their characters, the way that they're acting with each other. And I think that's good for both looking at Worf and Kor and Klingon society as a whole is kind of interesting. You can extrapolate a lot, I think, from how these two react to this episode. Yeah, I was actually thinking if um, if TNG had done it, maybe Worf would have just been right the whole time. Like, it would have been Core uh, uh, thinking the worst of Worf as he does here, but Worf uh, consistently proving him wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would see, I could see that too. I, I think also maybe first season DS9 would be, uh, there's a ghost in the sword. <laughs> 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 but... Um, but I do, I do really like that here. I on arguably more so than T than TNG. I think the writers have a handle on Worf in in the fact that, you know, as we've been saying for for a long time, he's basically a Klingon hipster. Yeah, um, they br- they focus he, on that here. That that's a yeah. main point of even his reaction with um. It's summed up in his thing about Core, where he, he has a line later on where he's like, Core is not what I expected him to be because he'd read everything about him and right. hadn't met the man himself. And this is, you know, Worf getting disenfranchised by meeting the actual thing, just as in TNG when he ran into real Klingon culture, he was always left uh, less than impressed by it. Yeah, and the stuff about him, you know, uh, uh, being too Klingon for Earth and too Earthy for, for Kronos... Uh, which reminded me, have you ever seen the, the SNL skit where Alec Baldwin is a French teacher? No. <laughs> and he's he's trying to teach everybody French, and his version of French is like way over the top and exaggerated. And then it ends with him going to France and then speaking that way, and then the French guys beat the shit out of him because he sounds like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, what I ca- that's what I was thinking of here. I was like, it's, it's like Worf shows up on Kronos as the, the, the nerd who knows everything quote-unquote everything about Klingon culture and these guys are like who the fuck is this asshole yeah yeah which I mean honestly I mean in a much more smaller realistic version of things it is something that lots of people deal with not necessarily to that extent um but yeah his presenting him as someone who who is still out of place and is still trying to uh like he it's even at this point he's he's still trying to find his place in Klingon culture and like in the world of of the Klingons even though he's had so many opportunities to learn that maybe that's not super important and maybe you should focus on you know who you are as a person in Starfleet and all that kind of stuff um 
I like that he still has that struggle because it's I find it very interesting and it's a great character beat that I'm glad that they've uh latched onto and are, are exploiting fairly well. Yeah. He's um I, I agree with even you. Even to sorry, even to the point where he's like uh, he's like really uh snooty towards other people. Yeah. Like he's he so, he so badly wants to be part of the cool group that even in Starfleet uh, you know, he's like, well, I mean, the last episode, he's like, I don't know about Ferengis being in Starfleet. You know, Brian has to, like, you know, give him a tap in the balls and be like, yeah, I mean, you know, this looks, people saying the same thing about you. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I like that. I, I, I really like that. Because it, it takes the it takes the Klingon um, mindset and, and uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, They're like ethos or philosophy. Yeah, and the way that they present themselves all the time to other people, and it and it still has him have that, but it's it's in a slightly different way, and it's always an unfocused sort of way, and I I, I like it, I like it a lot. Yeah, and Core, this is um, if you don't remember, Core is the original TOS Klingon who was also in that uh, Blood Oath episode with Dax and the other three Klingons. I'm sorry. Say it again. Do you, do you remember the uh, the other three Klingons in that uh, Blood Oath episode in the second season where Dax went off with the Klingons and they fought the albino guy? Yes. Yeah. He's he's one of those Klingons. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Which I wasn't sure of at first, but then I was I was like, oh right, that's the guy who does Apocalypse's voice in X Men. Right. Once he was talking. I was like, yeah, that's definitely one of those guys. <laughs> he's um. I like that they paired Worf with a Klingon who's a little bit untraditional, too. Um, and then they run into more sort of traditionally, I guess you'd call them TNG Klingons when they run into the, the Duras family that's under the in the mine as well. But um, I think that you were right about the writers here have a, a grasp on Worf, and the show is also a good... It's nice to get a refresher by putting Worf into a series that can look at him a little bit differently than TNG did. And... I feel they stay true to his character here, and they're also able to add a little bit of depth to it. Like, um, Worf wasn't allowed a lot of scenes in TNG to explain stuff that happened to him in his past. You know, he has that scene here where he explained, like, what happened when he went home, um, and then he went on his sort of vision quest into the caves, and he saw Kalos, and Kalos said that you will be a Klingon who does something that no Klingon has ever done. It's a... The DS9 just allows Worf a little bit of space to really flesh out his lifestyle and the sort of um how his he's basically a gatekeeper type personality like he likes to decide who is this and who is that uh Mm -hmm. who who is authentic enough to be like this part of this group or who's authentic enough to be that part of a group Mm -hmm. and ds9 plays it off nicely by showing showing it as kind of a, a flaw of his personality in a way that tng never really did like it didn't point it out in the same way yeah and it's it's interesting to me that they kind of the jumping off point for presenting that in DS9 was that first episode where he's like, yeah, man, I used to be a security officer, so I'm going to be really suspect of everybody. And if you have that kind of personality, it makes perfect sense that you would be a security officer. Uh, cause that's basically your whole job is just, you know, being a gatekeeper. Um, so yeah, I find it, I find it interesting that they use that as sort of the jumping off point and just sort of continued that aspect of his character as they continue to use them, and, and and they, it works well because they, it it allows you to to focus him down, so he can be effective in small doses in yes. a show like this where not everybody's going to get a star turn, and it's it it's really it's getting really good at at having uh, characters who are well defined, 
uh, be good in small doses. You and know, so yeah. Well, to to jump off of that, like it's 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 interesting the difference between the the series and the way that they portray Worf. Like in DS Nine, I get much better a much better sense of Worf as a loner. Like when they when they show Worf, he's usually drinking alone at the Quark's bar and. It, it comes across as more of a personal choice to be isolated than it did on TNG, where he just kind of seemed to be sitting alone, or he was actually sitting with other people a lot in TNG. But Worf, as the outsider, it kind of always feels, in these early episodes, he's always kind of on the outside of the party or the periphery that's going on in the scene, and someone has to go up to him and talk to him. And I, I think it's a nice way of... They just, they've really honed in on fleshing out the characters being that outsider character who's not comfortable in any of these situations. And in a way, on TNG, it felt like it was played for laughs. And on DS9, it feels like it's more authentic to this is the way he would actually interact with his coworkers. Yeah, yeah. It's not just him, like, not knowing how to eat a sandwich or something. Yes, right. He's just fundamentally separating himself from everything that goes around it. Also, I would like to point out if you go to a yard sale and you pick up a sh- tooth sharpener and you use it, <laughs> Would have bought that tooth sharpener without clean, without cleaning the thing. Yeah, first of all, gross. Like you know, why would you use a secondhand tooth sharpener? But yep. B, if you're going to use it like at the place, you better be buying it because you're not just putting that back on the shelf. Yep, I like the uh, the touch with um you know the Ferengi. Uh, coming of age thing is where children of Frangi culture sell all their uh, stuff and then his father actually barters him down to two bars of latum instead of three which is a a very nice Ferengi uh, touch here again they're getting good with those guys Um, the other thing I took away from this episode we know a lot about Klingon politics and history at this point in the series and this episode goes into a lot of that by mentioning the former Klingons it mentions Gowron it mentions the Duras family it mentions the clone of Kalos, who is now the Emperor. Um, I totally I, forgot about that. You for, I, yeah. I, I remembered the episode with Kalos in it, but I totally forgot that A, he was a clone, and B, he's now the Emperor of, yeah, of right. So, I mean, well, do you want to speak to that? Did you feel... I, I, I was actually, even as someone who's like seen all these episodes, I was a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of information about the Klingons we knew, and I was trying to track it all, and I think I understand everything at this point, but there is a lot of information about them now. Yeah, I kind of felt like... I kind of felt like it worked on on two levels where if you don't really know much about the Klingons, it worked, and if you do, it, it works too. Because like I didn't I didn't remember half of that shit, uh, but they were talking about it in a in a a larger enough large enough way that I kind of I understood what was going on. It's like oh yeah, there's the Emperor, and there's, the houses are separate, and they need this thing, and if he gets this thing, it'll help them combine the houses or whatever. Yeah, like it doesn't matter that you know that he's a he's a clone of Kaelas, but it, when you when you do know that, it's like oh okay, then obviously he's gonna want his sword back or whatever. Right. Well, it adds a little um, bit of it. I I feel knowing the characters and knowing the situation adds a little bit of depth to the argument about why they would bring it back or not bring the sword back. Like the, the, the downside of bringing the sword back makes a lot more sense and it lands better for me as an audience member. If I'm familiar with Kalos being a clone and how illegitimate a lot of Klingons would see that as being the emperor and how Gowron would exploit that fact. Like he Mm -hmm. and Gowron in the Kalos episode was the one who didn't want him to become emperor because Gowron had worked his way up the reign, up the uh, ladder politically and didn't want this illegitimate uh, clone to be taking power away from him. Um, and I think that the the episode itself just, it, it ties into it. It's not just about Worf, but what the episode does is it, it makes this small conflict about Worf and Kor and it latches it onto the entire Klingon culture. 
it, like mm-hmm. you start to understand why they infight with each other constantly and why the houses are divided and why their politics is so hard to bring under control because they are you know they're, they're genetically they're just fighters they just will constantly fight with each other so them aligning with each other is actually a very difficult thing for them to do and i think the sword of Kalos shows that and it kind of is a nice little metaphor for the klingons in general yeah and you know i i think that knowing the the clone thing and the history definitely helps but i again like i said i completely forgot about that but it still worked because i i was reading it more like you know they're going to find Excalibur basically, and whoever has the sword will unite the land. That kind of thing. Yes. Um, so I think all that stuff still works. But yeah, I, I completely, I'm, I, I definitely agree that it's, it's a good, it's a good metaphor for, uh, um, for the stuff that the, the two of them are dealing with. And uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was, it was pretty well done. It's a uh, cool looking prop too. The sword. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They're really, they're I was really... I was kind of surprised there wasn't a little bit more, uh, and I mean it's a TV show. You got to get your shit in. You got to make your day or whatever. Uh, I was surprised there wasn't a little bit more uh, pomp and circumstance about actually pr- like showing it. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of like they walk through this wall and it's like, oh, there it is. You know, well, like there there wasn't any like. I guess there was a little bit kind of interesting lighting, but you know, just visually a more like. Uh, um, reverence for the for the object yeah well do do did the herc the people who stole it know what it was i guess they must have because they put it in that cell type thing um but i i think i like the fact that you know uh we were talking about how Worf has sort of a reverence for stuff uh that is undeserved and he sort of holds things in high regard that maybe he doesn't need to i thought the the scene between the two of them where uh core is using the sword to get food out of the fire and Worf says that you shouldn't do that with like, this is like a great sword and we have to like treat it with respect. And Kor's comeback about Kalos used this to like chop down trees and skin animals and stuff, you know, because it's a yeah. sword. That's what it is. I thought that was such a brilliant little bit of dialogue between those two that really highlights where Worf stands and when he views things in Klingon culture in a way that the other Klingons are a little bit more pragmatic about it. And I thought it was a really yeah. cool dialogue. Yeah, I, I like that a lot too. I mean, that's where Worf's uh, hipsterness is on display at at its at its peak. You know, where he's he is he's holding this thing he knows about and has read about in very high esteem, but it's completely separate from what it's actually meant to be used for. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was a great great way to show the division between the two of them. Yeah, it's just a um, it's it's cool. It's a, it's a neat little subtle episode i think it, it builds a lot a lot off of the klingon lore and storylines and like the conflict between the klingons i think you can I'm, I'm probably reading more in the episode than was maybe intended but i'm, I'm i'll give the, the writers the benefit of the doubt and say that this sort of like subtlety about the klingon stuff was all intended to be there and that core and war fighting with each other is you know showing us more about the klingon culture at large um my the problem i think the problem with it is that it's it's not a great Everything that's in the episode is good, but the setting of the episode, I, I really hate the setting of this episode. Being you mean in the it, save the same four foot by four foot cave? Yeah, set. that they run through with the one light bulb on it. Um, every every angle you could possibly shoot it at. It's very dark in the cave. So looking at a 25 year old TV show that was shot darkly makes it look even extra worse uh, during those sections. And the cave thing is dumb. I don't like them being stuck in the cave like that. And then I don't really like the Duras involvement where they just have these Klingons yeah. chasing them for no reason. I didn't think that was necessary. And it just kind of took away from what I thought was the important part of the episode. 
Yeah, I didn't like that. Uh, I mean, I guess you have to have some sort of uh, driving action to get them moving or whatever. But well, they can't get really... out is the reason. They can't, they can't beam back to the ship because those Klingons have jammed them. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, but I, I thought their their involvement was kind of meh. And I, I really didn't like the involvement of the uh, electro brain lizard guy. Yeah, he's back again. Um, yeah. Yeah, that guy sucks. <laughs> um, yeah, that felt really weird. Uh, you know, why do you, why do you need that? device i don't know it just it, it was putting putting that specifically that guy in at at the beginning made me kind of think like wait so is this all going to be like inside his mind or some shit like that because yeah. that's the only th- that's what he did last time right yeah he was he's if you remember he's in the uh, the bashir episode where bashir goes into his mind and the station starts to disappear and all that stuff yeah yeah so i don't know i I, I feel like it was a uh, <clears throat> an unnecessary distraction from what they were actually the story they were actually trying to tell. I don't understand why that. I think he's a Lethian. I think that's what they call them. I, I understand why he steals the information from Core. I don't understand why he agrees to continue going down and fight, which basically amounts to him getting his ass kicked endlessly until right. he gets stabbed to death. Um, yeah. He doesn't feel like he fits in with the Klingons, and I, I would have considered his debt uh, paid or his like his service rendered at that point. I got you this information out of his head. Leave me alone. Um, and like, wouldn't wouldn't it be more effective, or not not effective, but it would, at least it would feel more natural if it was just like they those Klingon guys just showed up and they're like, yeah, you fucking told us everything that you were gonna do, so yes. we came and we did it first. Like, why do you even need that electric lizard guy? Is, <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess the only thing I could think of is like at that point in the story, <clears throat> nothing had really happened yet. It's a lot of like talking about doing stuff, mm-hmm. and so you need something to kind of keep the intrigue level up. I don't know. Well, I, I thought um, the I thought the implication when he does that is he is somehow uh, mind controlling or now aware of what Core does, but he doesn't do that. It's not like he has any sort of impact on making Core do right. anything. He's just right. he knows where Core is going, which, as you say, they know anyway because they heard him talking about it in the bar. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it, it seemed it, that whole all of that stuff seems like it was just needed to kind of pad out, um, you know, keep the energy up, sort of. You know, one thing we 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 sort of rip on Worf for being um, the hipster Klingon, as you say. Although I will say that I do want to give Worf credit because Worf has one thing going for him uh, in terms of Klingon culture, which is that. Worf he's has terrible at martial arts, <laughs> like really in a really unconvincing way. But he's also he's also a, a bad person who will just do their hobby in a awkward area. Like, you know, he, he doesn't need privacy. He's just willing to invade other people's space and start doing his martial arts in front of other people. It's, yeah, it's the guy who brings the guitar to a party and is just going to play, uh, not being requested or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Worf, the one thing Worf does have going for him, which I think is a failing of the Klingon culture is that Worf is a little bit of a... Um, the respect that Worf has for his culture is in complete opposition to the fact that the older Klingons seem very content to get drunk and just live in the past. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, they, Worf is kind of a guardian and a gatekeeper, but he's also, even if he's anal about it and doesn't quite understand, he is. he does seem to be one of the few Klingons who is interested in, um, like, preserving his culture. You know what I mean? Like the other Klingons right. seem very indifferent to it. And this guy's drunk. We frequently seen that the older Klingons get drunk constantly or they're conniving like the Durasses who are just out for political gain and don't really have the Empire's interests at heart. So he's as annoying as Worf can be. Worf is one of the truer 
true to the cause Klingons that we've seen too. There's been a couple others, but Worf is a prime example. Yeah, and he he's interesting because he is like you said, he's a <clears throat> he has such reverence for the culture that you and he is such a hipster for it that you would think that he would be all about just hanging out and listening to people talk about the old days or whatever. And he is for a little um, bit. He he likes it, he likes the idea of that, but he never seems impressed by the outcome of it. Right, right. Yeah. He is always about, you know, moving things forward and and uh and advancing the culture and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and to and 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 core is interesting because core is kind of that way. Core core is a pretty independent Klingon in this. He's not particularly all, all glory. He seems to like telling stories, but he's not particularly for the Empire, screaming all the time. And he's not a um, complete devious douchebag like the Durasses are. So mm-hmm, he, he's mm-hmm. kind of in an interesting little spot. I you know as far as like the callbacks and stuff go, um, I think that guy who tracks them was was probably a little bit a bridge too far uh, in, in terms of that calling one, back to knowing who that is yeah because that one it's like remember that episode where x i had the opportunity to kill him but i didn't this is that guy and you're like ah, do you remember okay. do you remember that episode yeah i mean i guess it works in that they have that you know argument later where he's like well if you had killed him we wouldn't be in the situation and he's like well if you didn't get drunk and tell everybody what you're gonna do we'd be in the situation. <laughs> which is a good comeback from work. yeah it is yeah um and i i'm always a fan i mean that's 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 one of the things about arguments that i always find interesting is when you get into one of those like existential arguments where it's like well if you hadn't left if you hadn't left the, this food out, then the mice wouldn't have come. It's like, well, if you didn't do this a week ago, I wouldn't have left the food out. Like that kind right. of thing. It's, yeah, it's, the causal chain it, of everything that goes yeah, wrong. Yeah, it shows the futility of most arguments. The um, the Duras thing, I thought, if it is a bridge too far, knowing who, I think his name is Toral is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself out on a limb. I'm not sure I remember who he is, but I'm pretty sure he's from the Redemption storyline or... He's from the two-parter where the Klingon War happens, I think, and mm-hmm. he takes control of the Klingon Empire. Is it from the Tony Todd episodes? No, his Kern might be in those, but it's the one where um, they set up the Data takes command of that starship. Is that that storyline? I think, oh, and they set the I was the thinking net. about the one where where Worf goes back to his planet and has to like answer for what his dad did or something. I think that's that earlier. One. This is this is okay. after that, and so Toral. The conflict there is that Worf was given a chance to redeem his family, and he has to take this act of vengeance against the son of his enemy, which is this Toral character. And Worf refuses to kill him because, you know, as the Federation does, it is humanized Worf, and he doesn't believe it's right to kill a child for the sins of his father, similar as he, as he was punished for the sins of his father, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was good to bring back here. It's a nice little... It, it ties Worf into the realizing... Um, the difference of why Worf is special as a Klingon. It's like the, the Federation has sort of changed him in a way that the other Klingons are still behind the times, if you want to look at it that way. The, the right. other Klingons see it's okay to kill a kid to restore your honor, and Worf, for all of his proclamations about honor is everything and the Klingon Empire is everything, that was a bridge too far for him. He wasn't willing to go that far. Yeah, yeah. I You know, I wish they had kind of played that up a little bit in explaining it, because I feel like... Uh, why didn't you take your revenge? Uh, makes it look makes core look worse if it's like what you wanted me to kill like a a kid. Yeah, like a little kid that would have that would have <laughs> made me feel better and that would make you feel better about me if I had done that. 
Well, it, it felt uncore like because core didn't feel like that kind of a Klingon to that point in the story. He felt a little bit more pragmatic than that. Like when right. he when he meets Worf and he's like, "Oh, the traitor to the Empire," but you also don't like Gowron, and I appreciate that because I don't like Gowron. Like that that felt like Core's character was a little bit more nuanced than having the opinion that killing a kid is a good thing. Yeah, I did. I did also really like the point where uh, where where he kind of gets into it and he's like, "Man, this would have been so great if my friends were here." Like that, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. that beat I liked a lot. Where he's, you know, even, even in, even in what he, th- what he says he's doing, what he's really trying to do is relive his glory days and all that kind of stuff, and and uh, uh, wishing that his his uh, compatriots were still there to partake instead of this, you know, pussy Klingon hipster I have here <laughs> instead. I mean the. It's a, maybe that's the fundamental difference between the characters, right? Worf is a living for something bigger than himself, and Kor is only living for himself and the memories of himself. Yeah, you know, he, he's yeah. He's, I, and I think it would be it would be nice if if uh, um if Worf had had a moment where where he's like where he kind of called out the fact that you guys are kind of not very good at what you do. Yeah, yeah. Because you know you're talking about the glory of battle and killing and everything and how great it is to die and it's like well you know you could also not be dead and not get into these battles in the first place it would it would have been interesting to see uh wharf call out the uh uh i don't know if hypocrisy is the word but like the the feebleness of their existence sort of like yeah the, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that is a good point i maybe i'd maybe i'd say that's a bit that almost feels like another episode idea sort of yeah, like yeah. It, it doesn't it, it feels like it would build off of this idea but um here i just i like the i, I just like the baser simplistic uh, th- portion of it i really have to stress the fact that it not being a sci-fi sword saves the episode a million times over it's so much yes. better that there's no sci-fi yeah. garbage going on with the sword because that would have been silly yeah yeah i was i was kind of surprised at the end when they just rocketed into space like i before they exactly showed what they did, that's what I kind of thought they were going to do. But at the on the other hand, I thought they were just going to put it in like some sort of holding cell or something like that. But yeah, I thought it, they were going to disintegrate it, just like beam it into nothingness, you know, to get rid yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did like that. I did like the ending though, where it's like you know we're not going to destroy this because it is a, a relic. They basically they they throw Excalibur back into the wall into the lake basically. Yep. yep. Uh, which is which is a good way to handle it. Yeah. Um, what did you think of Dax in this episode? I was actually pretty impressed with Dax. I thought this was a good episode for her in a sort of supporting role, but it fits the wise Dax symbiont character to be the, the cool head in the room. And I feel like that's the way the character should more usually go. And she doesn't always, but I was pretty, I was, I thought it was a good use of Dax here. It's a role that she fits pretty well. Yeah. Again, I think it's, it's, she's better in the second half. Um, the first half, I found I was kind of like shocked that she was just like, "Yeah, we're going to get this sword." Mm-hmm. Uh, like that was she was totally into doing it. Because um, especially, I mean, obviously the last time she did this was uh, involved murdering somebody, so she was a little bit more hesitant. But uh, it just seems strange for her to be like all in about going to some random place based on some, you know, a map somebody drew on the back of a cocktail napkin to find a sword that may or may not be real. 
Yeah, um, yeah, some some weird uh, some weird timing too, where he gives her the cloak right at the start, and he's like, "Can you analyze this?" She says, "I'll do it in the morning," and they say, "Do it now," and she says, "No, I'll do it in the morning." But they're also in something of a rush. <laughs> I am drunk right now, Corn. <laughs> they're also in a bit of a rush because when they need the runabout, they have no problem busting in on Siska, who apparently just got done taking a shit and is shaving uh, in his yeah. bathroom, <laughs> and he doesn't seem particularly bothered by the fact that they are invading his personal space to ask for a ship. They don't get the defiant either, which is a nice little touch they get a shitty little runabout yeah this is kind of a side thing uh i don't know why i thought this maybe because they were maybe they were talking about it as being like oh no one will ever believe that we blah 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 blah. why are there no cameras in star trek Mm -hmm. like why the first thing i thought of when i when they when they showed up maybe it's just the culture of instagram we live in but uh, um, when they show when they find the thing, I was like, take a fucking picture of that. Dude. <laughs> uh, you know, like <laughs> they're talking about this thing as if like no one will ever get to see it. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, you, you, why? Why don't you have digital cameras? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, it, even I mean, of all the things, it's really interesting when you look at Star Trek and the things that they chose not to bring into the future. Yeah. Um, like for all of the database stuff that they have and all of the information they have on everything and replicators and all this kind of stuff, nobody has cameras. Like nobody. Not even like a regular camera that they that they just didn't upscale. They've got video because oh. they can do like, you know, ship to ship communications and everything. Yes. But nobody's taking like photographs. Except, I guess, well, I guess Picard had that book of his dead family in, in, uh, in <laughs> what, was it Nemesis or whatever? Yeah, or um, was it, yeah, Generations or whatever it was. Yeah, um, uh, but even there, it's like, okay, you have that because that's just a prop or whatever, and you need to show it, but there's there's nobody taking pictures, like, even casually. I, I think I of the, well, there was one example, there was the episode where, um, a guy wanted to fuck Kira, so he paid Quark to take a picture of her to make it into a holodeck program. Oh, yes, I didn't watch that, but I did. I did look it up because I heard people talking about it. Yeah, so uh, Quark is kind of trying to snap pictures. It's not really a picture. It says it's taking like her body scan or something, but yeah, it looks like, like a camera. It's always something weird like that. Yeah, yeah. Like they've got they've got holograms that can talk to you on little pedestals after you're killed by a muck monster, but they don't have like photographs. Yeah. No. Very strange. No, it is. It is strange. Um, was there anything else I wanted? I think that's pretty much it for this episode, which I enjoyed. But uh, we'll take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back, give our final thoughts about the Sword of Kalos. I, I did want to point out. Sorry. I don't know. Oh, sure. I didn't mean to, to kill your transition there. My favorite part about it, the episode with Dax is when she pulls a gun on the sword. Yes. <laughs> and she, 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 she points a gun at the sword like she's holding it hostage before she goes to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, not great gunplay from Dax. Maybe that's her weakest point because she holds a gun against uh, the Klingon too at the very end. But it's it's uh, not, not, nothing special. Anyway, now we're going to take a break. Playing out a clip. We'll come back and break it down. Cor, uh, there's a ledge right below you. I don't see it. It is less than one meter down. Let go and you'll land on it. Dax, can you see it? I can't see anything. I can't hold you. You'll have to let go. There is no ledge. It is there. Then you let go. No. We cannot risk losing the sword. Let go! I'll take the sword to my grave before I give it to you. 
Just hold on. We'll pull you up. All right. So, patron thoughts. If you guys support the show on patreon.com slash file, you get to leave thoughts about upcoming episodes. We'll read them on the podcast. Holly McLaughlin says, The sword of Kalos, Duras's kid is still a little punk shithead. I used to love to hate that little bastard. The rest of the episode is very uneven. I don't buy Worf and Kor acting that way over the Batleth unless it has some sort of weird sci-fi element that makes people go stupid and childish. Interesting. Mm. I, I would strongly disagree, Holly, but uh, nothing personal. I'm just, sorry, I'm just scrolling down here to find the next one. Not Sounds as many comments. Like Holly was, needs to get into a cultural dispute with somebody. That's, that's, you need to be a little bit more of a hipster about your culture, and then you will understand. Eric McGowan says, The Sword of Kalos, the first real meat that Worf has gotten as a character on DS9. This episode shows how Worf can fit into the cast on DS9 with a great episode, one of my favorites from season four. Uh, Kyle Barrett, last comment, says, The Sword of Kalos, this episode seems like an active attempt to give Worf some shades of gray, turning him from a TNG character into a DS9 character, but they might push it a bit too far. I like that there's no sci-fi explanation as to why people who touch the sword go mad with power, but the episode drags when they're running through the same cave for 20 minutes. Overall, it's one of my least favorite episodes of the season, but that speaks highly of the season because it's really not that bad. Not many comments for this one. I'm surprised there were more comments for Little Green Men than this one. I think this is a better episode than Little Green Men. Um, would you agree with that, Clay? Before we go to ratings, um, <clears throat> I I th- I guess this goes to show of how people watch the show. Yeah. Um, not that one way is better than the other. This is a very dull episode to watch. It's a better episode to think about. Yeah. Um, and so I think our podcast is more, we had very little to say about little green men. Um, and this one, I feel there's more to sort of think about and I like it for that reason. Uh, but maybe just watching it on a, like a viewer level, maybe little green men is a more interesting episode to watch. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would say that this is probably character wise, a better episode. Um, but as far as like <clears throat> mechanics and execution and like story, it's probably less of an enjoyable watch than Little Green Men. Um, you know, I, I think it is a, a it is a half and half kind of thing, um, where uh, the second half is very good as far as like the um, ideas that they're presenting. Yeah, we didn't stress that bit. enough. I think the second half of this episode saves the first half, which is pretty boring, in my opinion. The first half is a pretty much a waste of time. It's one of those episodes you're worried that if they don't pick it up, it's just going to be terrible the whole way through. Well, you know, it's what's interesting uh, is that this one and the last one, there's no B plot. I kept like when they uh, before they went back in time in the last one, I kept thinking, all right, so I mean, when, what's the B? What's what's O'Brien going to get into while these guys are off on their on their on their jaunt? Uh, and they don't do that. They stick with the main thing. And this is the same thing. Like, there's no B-plot to this. It's just, you know, it, it getting into the, you know, uh, the nooks and crannies of their relationships. And I think it actually really benefits from that. I mean, maybe that's where you get some of the unevenness and having to pad things out with the electric lizard guy and having those other people show up. Uh, maybe. Um, but I kind of like that they just stick with the story and just let let you kind of sit with it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Worf basically tries to kill the dude for real. Like when he's yeah, hanging he off the thing, he tells him to let go and, and tell. <laughs> yeah, there's a ledge down there. Don't worry about it. And it's like there's no I, that point. Seemed, that scene. Sorry to interrupt. That scene had potential to be terrible. Like the dialogue of like, "What ledge? I don't see any ledge." And the other person just going like, "Just drop. You'll be fine." I think well, they do I, it pretty I, well. Yeah, I really liked it because you've got Worf. 
up top and this guy, you know, holding on to the thing. And he's telling him there's a ledge beneath him. The guy doesn't want to believe him, A, because he doesn't believe him, and B, because he's scared. And then he's like, Dax, can you see the thing? And Dax is also holding Worf, so she can't yeah. get an angle on it. Yeah. So you, you have, I mean, there's really no way to tell whether or not he's telling the truth. And then afterwards, Dax is like, you motherfucker, you were going to let that guy die, which is not something they would have done on TNG. Do you do you think that's that that's 100% true? Do you think it's better that they stated there was no ledge or should it have been left ambiguous and Dax is unsure about what Worf was thinking at that point? I, I think it's actually the rare case of unambiguousness being better. I like the fact that Worf was going to let him drop like that and they know that there was... Um, if, if their explanation is it was just a very small ledge and they don't believe that he would have landed while Worf believes that he would have landed is, uh, is good enough for me, but what do you think? Yeah, no, I like that I because I think... I think having that back and forth makes Worf seem, oddly enough, he seems less uh, uh, malicious. Yeah. In that, you know, he at least to himself, he can justify that, well, you know, there was something there. But you having Dax call him out on it makes it, like, if you if you had just had that argument be between Worf and, and Kor, I don't think it's that interesting. Because uh, then it's just like, you were going to let me drop. There was no thing. Yeah, there was. It was just a tiny thing. Oh, there's no way I could have gotten on that thing. It's like, well, that's because you're old and you're not a good enough war, blah, blah, blah. Yep. But having Dax there to be to basically be the conscience and call him out and be like, you can't be doing that. You're, st-, you know, X, Y, and Z. I thought that stuff. And then leading leading that into the big kind of, you know, uh, monologue scene for Worf, I thought, I thought worked really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. I'm going to give this one, I'm going to give this one a three as well. I think it's a strong three. Um, but the cave stuff really holds it back a little bit, but it's a, it's a great character episode for Worf. I'm really impressed with the way that they've done Worf to this point on the series. Um, the script here probably needed another little bit of a punch up or something, or maybe, you know, you, you were saying you liked that they stuck with the A plot. I feel this one maybe more than Little Green Men would have benefited from a small B plot that was sort of chopping up space so that they could get more into the wharf stuff earlier. Maybe, maybe it's it's hard to say. It's just one of those things. But um, I like this one. I don't know if I'd show this to anybody, uh, yeah, which would make, bring it up. I was just gonna say it's kind of it's this is a tougher one to get into if you've not like been marinating in it. Yes, exactly, and it's um. You where you'd show someone Little Green Man, maybe you wouldn't show them this one, but I think this is the more interesting of the two episodes. I, I like this one a lot. I give, I'll give it a, I'll give it a three uh, by saying that I liked it a lot, but it's got some things that hold it back in terms of being an exciting episode of television. But I do like it. Yeah, I would say I would say the same. Character work, I would give a four. Um, yeah. Overall, I'd give it a three. Um, TV production, I'd give it a two. Yeah. <laughs> like that would be the character yeah. work is a four, and the TV production work is also a two. again. Klingon has red blood. What the hell? Did I assumed people... he, I assumed he was talking about the blood of his enemies. No, because when 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 Cl- when uh, uh, Worf gets stabbed, he's got red blood. Oh, sure. I thought you were talking about the core quote at the top. Yeah, where he's saying the river ran red with blood or whatever. Well, that too. But I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the what color blood the enemies have. But <laughs> as far as I know, Klingons have purple blood, and uh, we have not seen it up to this point. That was a discovery level mistake here. Um, someone Do needs these to make people even watch the show. Someone needs to make a meme of remember in Discovery when Takuvma had that flashback, that completely pointless flashback where he was a little kid getting beat up by other Klingon kids. Holy um, shit! I do not remember that. Well, they that need happened? to just 
someone needs to cut out Michael Dorn's head as Worf and paste it onto that image so that we can get our flashback of Worf talking about him getting uh, beat I had, up by the. Clowns. I was on board when you, were, as you were saying, remember when Takuvma had that pointless flashback? I was like, yeah, which one? But uh, I don't remember the the being a kid getting beat up, get beaten up one. Yikes. <laughs> Discovery Season 2 is returning. Anyway, guys, that's about it. You can check out the social media links, Facebook, Twitter, Discord. You can go to Discord to talk. They'll be in the video descriptions. Patreon.com slash ThePenskyPal if you want to support the show. That is much appreciated. Patrons are uh, the reason that the show continues. There's a whole bunch of rewards. Uh, there's new tiers. You can go check that out. Patreon.com slash ThePenskyPal. And also, uh, rate the show on iTunes. We're almost at 50 reviews. If we get to 50 reviews, I would be so happy. That's about it. If it's on your phone, it's easy to do. Just look up the podcast app, go to Penske Podcast, and rate us. Thanks very much. Clay, thanks for coming on. Those are two episodes that we just got done. I didn't say uh, goodbye on the last one, so I'll say here, but thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. And do we have anything that we want to talk about? Is there any sort of uh, non sequitur? Do you have anything you want to say, or are we done? Um, I already covered my trip to the Highland Games in the last episode. So uh, oh, that's but, right. Uh, but yeah, um, I I've got a, a my book Poser is out right now. So if you guys happen to catch it in the comic book store, I'd be much obliged if you checked it out. Or if you want to get it directly from waxworkcomics.com, you can do that too. I just had one small point. I was wondering, maybe I'll bounce this off. You, you know who Jordan Peterson is, right? I do. Yes. Um, you know the band Tool, right? I do. Yes. I was thinking. Are the really vigilant, uh, outspoken Tool fans on the internet, are they Jordan Peterson's fans? Are they the same people? (laughs) You mean like pretentious assholes? (laughs) I mean, digging for meaning of life and finding it in a sort of a way that's kind of describing it, but they're getting very into what this thing is selling without appreciating it as a sort of metaphor. Does that make sense? Like tool fans who are really into tool and I like tool quite a bit, but tool fans who sort of see tool as a description of life that is completely on, on the level. Like it, the tools, lyrics and music are sort of summing up the way that life is. Mm-hmm. I see them as being potentially the same people who would latch onto Peterson's, view and which is not to say that peterson is wrong about a lot of stuff but the 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 sort of like i think they're just people on the internet who are looking for something and i think there's a lot of those people and i think that they are i was just wondering about what the crossover would be i would imagine they would be fairly similar groups of people and i was i thought that was interesting yeah i i can't speak to it too much because i'm not super familiar with either group um but i i would agree that yeah i i i think that for some reason um and maybe it's not exclusive to those two groups when people find something like that to latch on to uh they do end up they do end up taking it as a as a like a a total truth um instead of thinking about it in a more like how does this fit into the way that i view society as a whole it, it, but you know it's just like well this is what it says so yep. this is what it means, and this is what life means. Uh, I finally found someone who uh, depicts life in a way that makes sense. Um, depicts life in a way that I agree with. Kind of, it's like an yes. interesting. Like you've come to, you found someone who you think is saying something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, and I think that stuff is really, it's really difficult to 
to get into that stuff in a vacuum, you know? I mean, if I, I think you need to consider how that stuff is going to affect the world you live in, et cetera, et cetera. And just because that you are into that doesn't mean that that's exactly the way that things are. Yeah. Um, You're unlikely think, to have found the, the ultimate truth in any right. situation. And I think that's a, that's a, a symptom of, of this strange, like, intense intense tribalism that is seems to be happening in everything now uh like literally everything it's like if you don't believe x then you have to believe y and if you don't believe y and you don't believe x then you're a piece of shit or whatever yep um and it's it's really it's a really interesting uh uh period to 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 be a being a fan of stuff has gotten really weird let's put it that way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and I think this, what you're talking about, kind of falls into that, where it's like things become so, so highly, highly defensive that uh, um, I don't really know what the answer is other than, you know, I said it jokingly, but, you know, get off the Internet and go read a book or something. <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, it's like it's I think it's a it, it, not to get into another long winded thing, but like I think people view the Internet itself as real life too yeah. often. And that yep. is very much not the case. And I think people need to remember that. Um, and like Twitter is not real life. Uh, and I think that's applicable. That's not, that's not, it's not me just saying like, oh, don't let what people say, you know, bug you because Twitter isn't real life. I think it goes for the people who are saying that shit too. Yeah. You know, and, uh, so it's, it's really, it's really weird out there, kids, is what you I'm know, trying to say. You know, it was a scary realization for me on Twitter. What's that? When I um, I started realizing that I was putting a lot of political stock into Twitter comedian accounts, yeah. like, and there's a lot of these accounts. There's a lot of Twitter accounts that I don't know what these people do for life besides tweet a hundred yeah. times a day. Yeah, and you know, it's a. I think it's just we're we're very bad at um, we're very bad at recognizing that you need to analyze something like when you read a tweet that you agree with there's some like primal thing in you that makes you stop thinking about it you just agree with it and you're like this is good like this is a good tweet i enjoy this tweet this is a very good tweet and that's if the only there reaction. was a button i could press to to like this <laughs> yeah to to express my my love that comes from my heart <laughs> and the um the opposite is true. If you disagree, you just sort of disagree viscerally with it. We do, we tend to take information on like a very face value type thing. I think it's the same for uh, Tool and Peterson and stuff like that. Anyway, that's enough of that. Maybe we'll get back into this with our next episode, which will be... What is the next episode? I think it's Homefront. Is it Homefront? Armand Bashir. Armand Bashir. That's the next one. Um, a holodeck episode, Clay. You said you'd been missing those from TNG, but we get them back. A Bashir holodeck episode? That should be interesting. <laughs> Guys, we'll be back with Armand Bashir. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>